When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It is Trags once again. And this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome back old friend Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub, covering all things Boston sports. He's a great follow on Twitter. One of the things I love about Alex Barth is you can really kill him for his passion and his sometimes absurd hyperbolic takes on Twitter. But that is Alex Barth. You should be following him at real Alex Barth. He does a great job covering the Patriots, but he also does a great job staying on top of other things, Boston sports. And that's what brings us to the Red Sox. Two big storylines we're going to get to in this Red Sox beat podcast. First of all, on Tuesday, a Red Sox legend retires from Major League Baseball, and I don't think that's hyperbole. One of my very favorite words. John Lester retiring from Major League Baseball after a terrific uh, career, uh, one with the that's obviously started with the Red Sox. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Alex is based on his Red Sox career alone, but then he goes to Chicago with the Cubs, starts Game 7 there, wins a World Series, uh, with the Cubs, of course, the Cubs snap uh, that uh, incredibly long drought, uh, World Series drought dating back to 1908. They broke that in uh, 2016 in Cleveland, 108 year drought. And then he uh, finished up uh, this past season uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was part of that historic 17 game winning streak that got St. Louis uh, into the wild card and got them into the postseason. So John Lester goes out a winner. Your thoughts, Alex, on John Lester's career? Yeah, I, well, it's a damn shame he didn't get to spend more of it in Boston. I'll tell you that first and foremost. Yep. But everything you kind of want, you know, he wasn't the flashy ace. He wasn't Kershaw, a guy like that, Verlander, but you felt good when he was on the mound. He was just a, I think consistency is something we, undervalue as sports fans and sports evaluators like maybe a guy's peak is so high but you know how reliable are they John Lester you pretty much knew what you were getting every time he took them out and he'd go out there and get on the mound he started over 30 games uh I believe every season of his career until this most recent one um or, or for the most of his career the early seasons obviously interrupted but you know to overcome cancer and then be that you know reliable physically I think is really a testament to what he did. And I mean, a lot of people talk about Lester in the world series and all that. I was actually at John Lester's no hitter. And it was a very cool moment for me. As was dad, I, I was in the press box covering it. Yes. So I was, what year was that? was 2010. So I would have been like 16. Um, my no, dad it was, was earlier than that. No, 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 no. Let's go back. Was it? I think it was oh, 2007. Right. I believe it was 2007 against Baltimore. 
So I would have been 13. Um, my mom. Or Kansas was, City. Now I got to look this up. Go ahead. Continue. No, I think I, I think it was one of those is Buckholtz. One of those is, is Lester. Kansas City. Uh, anyway. Kansas City, I believe, is Lester. But I'm looking it up. Go ahead. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, I went with, with my mom took me, my brother, and uh, my mom's a cancer survivor. And she knew John Lester. She was well aware of John Lester's story. We were all well aware of John Lester's story. Uh, you know, we were we were big fans of his. For that reason, Andy was a good player. We used to donate $31 to the Jimmy Fund every year because that was his number. So to, to see his no-hitter with my mom, that was just a really cool moment. So, you know, from then on, John Lester's always been one of my favorite athletes because just what he embodied, he went about it the right way, all of that. So a, a hell of a career. Um, and again, it's a shame he didn't get to spend more of it in Boston. Uh, indeed. And yes, that no-hitter. Uh, that happened uh, did happen back in uh, 2008 against the Kansas City Royals. Uh, really was an, a, a, remain, a remarkable uh, achievement, and really that's when. The tracks. What would have happened? What would have happened if 14 year old me ran up to you coming out of the press box and said, "I'm going to work with you one day covering?" I would the have said, "Get the f out of the way, kid. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make you part of the Fenway concrete if you don't get out of my way." And I'm sure I unfortunately said that to some poor kid. But on May 19th, 2008, Lester threw a no hitter in a seven nothing win against the Kansas City Royals. In that game, Lester threw 130 pitches, allowing only two walks, striking out nine batters. He actually was charged with a throwing error on a pickoff attempt in the second inning. It was the first no-hitter thrown by a Red Sox lefty. Do you know since when? You probably don't know this, but I'm going to ask I it anyway. So. Is it since Cy Young? No. 1956, Mel Parnell. It was the first Red Sox left-handed picture yep. since Mel Parnell in 56 uh, to throw a no-hitter. It was uh, I was there. It was a remarkable achievement given what uh, John Lester has been through and had been through up until that very young part of a uh, portion of his career. And, uh, you know, he pitched 16 years in the major leagues. And that, in his third season, was his only no-hitter. And uh, certainly uh, a remarkable uh, run of success from 2007 through uh, 2011. He kind of fell off the cliff a little bit in 2012. But in 2009, he pitched six and a third perfect innings, striking out 10 batters and 61 pitches through six innings. And that was against the Texas Rangers, who at the time in that season were leading the American League West. But, uh, you know, when I when we talk about a guy like John Lester, and obviously everybody understands what he went through early in his career, overcoming cancer. And uh, to me, that's a remarkable achievement in and of itself. But after 16 seasons, I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think he's going to get there. And I think he's going to get there for that intangible that if you talk to any John Lester teammate of his over the years with the Red Sox, the Cubs, and the Cardinals, he was a very incredibly fierce competitor, uh, Alex. Yeah, again, he was – I think the thing about Lester is – and I kind of said it before, everybody looks at this ace as this guy who's going to go out there, throw eight innings every time, 100 miles an hour, strike out 14, 15 hitters. Like, that's not – necessarily what it takes to be a great pitcher john lester he was consistent and i think you know teammates appreciate that because they know on and off the field he's somebody who's going to be able to pick them up he who's he's somebody right. they can count on and you know 
Dur- Dur- I-, I think a lot of it that's really impressive with Lester, and it's not to take away from his ability of a, as a pitcher. He's a great pitcher, but you look at it now where guys are getting Tommy John before they turn 30, and they're really out of their prime by the time they're 33, 34. Lester was going pretty strong until he was 37. And that, I don't think longevity should be, when it comes to Hall of Fame, I don't think longevity should be a requirement, right? Like, to compare it to football. I don't necessarily have the biggest problem that Terrell Davis is in the NFL Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think it's certainly something, I think it can certainly be a separator, right? If John Lester had his career over 12 years, like 10 or 12 years, I don't know if he is, but it, how many years did he end up playing? Was it 16, 16. years? 16 years. Mm-hmm. 16 years where he was, for, for the majority of those years, 14 at least of those 16 years, he's an unquestionable front end of the rotation starter. The, there aren't a lot of guys that have done that in this era. It's really just, I mean, find another guy over that period of time that pitched that well, that consistently. And I think that's what we, we've talked about this before the hall of fame discussion. I, I, I think it's really, it really should be compared to players at your position and players in your era. Right. I, I don't want to compare John Lester to Nolan Ryan because it's two completely different games. Yep. I don't want to compare him to David Ortiz because they're not doing the same thing. Right. Find me another pitcher who had a career like John Lester did from his era. It's really hard. It's really hard to do. And that, to me, speaks to a Hall of Fame career. I think that's a a great point. Uh, I left out one team. You know, the team I left out when I was listing his career. The Nationals? Uh, No. uh, Yeah, I actually left out two teams. I left out the Nationals in 2021. Yeah. And I left out the Oakland A's back in 2014. Uh, when he that was, was the Cespedes trade, that yeah. was indeed this uh, Cespedes trade back in 2014, a, a non Red Sox, uh, a non playoff Red Sox team, and was going nowhere, and they uh, decided to trade him. So, um, you know, you look at his career numbers: 200 wins on the on the button, 117 losses, 3.66 ERA. In his career, he had 15 shutouts. And, you know, he has the three World Series rings from 2007 when he came back from lymphoma mid midseason and really was a big part of that uh, Red Sox World Series team uh, in the playoffs, both against uh, the Indians and the Rockies. Then in 2013, uh, he won a World Series, the Red Sox. He went 15 and eight that year, 3.75 ERA. Uh, really uh, one of the aces of that pitching rich uh, Red Sox club. And then, uh, of course, in 2016 with the Cubs, he went 19 and five. Uh, he never won 20 games. He won 19 uh, three times and 18 once. But in uh, 2016, he won 19 games, lost just five, a 2.44 ERA with a whip. Uh, Alex Barth of 1.016 that year was his best year in the majors with a team that would go on to win the world series that year. He finished second in the Cy Young voting, you know, we bring up all the stats, Alex, and I think we should on a guy like John Lester who went, you know, uh, spanned 16 seasons in major league baseball. But I like these stories. I told my kids, I'm not going until John gets in the hall of fame, former Red Sox and Chicago Cubs teammate, John Lackey said, that's one we're going to Cooperstown. I can't wait to be there. So John Lackey thinks John Lester is getting in. 
And then there's this story. We spoke a little bit, Alex, about John Lester's competitiveness. Mid-August, this past August, uh, Lester was on the mound for the Cardinals, still trying to get into the playoffs against the NL Central leading Brewers. In the top of the first inning, Brewers slugger Christian Yelich hits a 106-mile-an-hour liner off Lester's calf for an infield single. After getting the next batter out to end the inning, I love this story. Lester was clearly hurting when he came to the dugout. Pitching coach Mike Maddox, Red Sox fans remember him well, told him that they had a reliever ready and he could come out of the game at that point. But Lester said, "Mm, not so fast. My calf is nowhere near my heart. He told Maddox, I'm not coming out. How about that? Yes, it's cheesy and corny, but I like that anecdote. That really kind of sums up uh, the kind of intense competitor that Lester was on the mound. I think that's what sports are all about, right? Those are the guys that we want to root for. Those are the guys that we have fun rooting for. So, yeah, I, I stories like that, I, I always love stories like that. Again, I know some people say it's cheesy. That's the kind of thing you usually roll your eyes at me for, for getting all geeked up about. Yeah, I don't but, mind. Yeah, I, <laughs> so as long as it's in the right context, you're okay with it. Yeah, I um, – no, I love, I love, I love stories like that. And, and yeah, that, again, it, it gets to the point where he's a guy. I think the reliability and consistency element of it is huge. I just, think I that's, th- that's big. That's huge. But I think the competitiveness is what, to me, if I had a vote, that's what would get him in the hall of fame. He is one of the more fierce competitors. He was great to us in the media. Uh, when he wasn't pitching, he was a terrific guy to cover. I love the guy in terms of being a, being a subject I could write about. Um, I thought he was very genuine with us when he did speak to us. I thought it was very humble guy, but when he was on the mountain, there was a little bit of Roger Clemens in him. I mean, Clemens took it to an extreme in terms of what he would do to try and win. I think we all know that and we'll get to that in a little while, but I think with John Lester, when he was on the mound, he was just incredibly focused. Um, and Pedroia, when he was told about that story uh, in St. Louis about taking the liner off the leg, said, yep, that sounds like him. If you have two of them, you're good to go. That's what we used to say. If it was an arm or a leg, you've got another one. Get out there and play. Um, so Dustin Pedroia, I'm sure, uh supports the John Lester bid for the, for Cooperstown, I think in five years, I think, I don't know if he's going to get in on the first ballot. I doubt he will, depending on what the class is at that time, but I think he definitely belongs in the hall of fame. I'm speaking with Alex Barth of 98.5, the sports hub. He does a great job covering Boston sports this time of year, of course, with the Patriots facing the Buffalo bills on Saturday night, be sure to follow him on Twitter at real Alex Barth, all one word. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right on to your very favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online, it's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Back with Alex Barth of 98.5, the sports hub. Can I give you one more stat on John Lester? Yeah, please do. Okay. 
So when the Red Sox traded John Lester in the 2014 season, right, they go out, they signed David Price the next year, and that was yep. kind of seen as the trade-off. Mm-hmm. If you look at the numbers for David Price and John Lester between 2015 and 2019, when Price was in Boston, they're nearly identical. Lester has the edge in some categories. Price has the edge in some categories. I think that says a lot because Price was hailed as this monumental signing. Obviously, it didn't turn out great, but he's hailed as this monumental signing, right? And the guy he replaced, the guy they didn't want to pay, basically did the same thing. And they could have had him for significantly less. So So that's kind of... You can't tell you. I'm glad you did this, Alex. Thank you. Yeah. You, you saved my bacon here. You can't tell the okay. John Lester story without explaining what happened in 2014 and what happened um, preceding that um, and how the Red Sox let him get away. Um, to recap, everybody, I think, you know, Red Sox fans know that the Red Sox had a chance to sign him at a much lower value and uh, Red Sox ownership decided to take a pass. They thought um, that John Lester was asking too much. They lowballed him. And, you know, that is the reason why John Lester um, in the end decided not to sign with the Red Sox and the Red Sox um, waited too long. And then they had to decide in, as we mentioned in 2014, to trade him uh, to the Oakland A's. And, you know, Alex, what were your memories of that? That whole fiasco? I was crushed. I, I was crushed. Like I said, um, Lester was one of my favorite players at the time. And that was, I, I, I like, I knew, like, I knew the whole thing. Sports is a business and these guys are hired guns and all that. Like I was old. I was in college at that point. I was old enough to understand that. It was the first time it really happened with one of my favorite players, though. Mm-hmm. Like even the even the Nets trade when 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 they got rid of Pierce and Garnett, it was like, yeah. all right, well they they got something in return. There's a future here. This makes sense. Right. This was the first time where it was just like, hey, we've told you that this guy is like the face of our team, and now never mind, he's not. We were lying. And then you know it's because we didn't want to open up the checkbook. And the the funny thing about it is, I was actually interning for Felger and Maz at the time. So I was fully inundated with the Felger and Maz takes as this was happening. I was with them this that summer. And I don't know, like, I don't know that I've ever felt the same way about Red Sox ownership since. I really don't think I have. It, you know, I was kind trust. of that was and that, that was that my that got to trust with the fan base. Right. And I think that's where it really started to erode. I, I think that's a you know, very fair point, Alex. When you call it when when and people like to say I'm a homer and I probably am one of the more positive, you know give the team the benefit of the doubt people in Boston media. But I, that was, that was the first time I was really like F this team, you know, <laughs> F them. They deserve, they, they deserve for bad things to happen to them because of this. They deserve to lose. I remember I, I want, I wanted Cespedes to be bad. I wanted him to struggle all that. I was like, that was the first time I was ever really mad at one of my teams. And yeah, I don't know. Trust is a perfect way to put it. I don't know that my trust in ownership has ever recovered when I was looking for that stat with Lester and Price I actually found an old tweet from when Mookie was traded. And I said, here we go again, John Lester 2.0, who will be this David Price? Is it who will be the guy they'll bring in and try to sell as the replacement who's not as good? It might be Alex Verdugo. It might not. I don't know. It's still too early to tell. But yeah, I think that 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 hurt. That hurt. That, that was one of the few transaction moves from a Boston sports team that re- really, truly hurt. And, and they moved and on from I him. Think they didn't pay him especially since they, they, we found out later, they lowballed them. And, and I think that's a great point, Alex, that 
what happened with John Lester was a precursor of what was going to happen with Mookie Betts. And that's why when the whole Mookie Betts thing was going down and the Red Sox let, uh, again, let uh, the Mookie contract situation drag on and on and on without giving him the, the deal that I think would have blown him away. I don't think the Red Sox really wanted to do that. And I think they wanted to build their franchise back up, their farm system back up. They knew they had Mookie for a couple of more years, and then they were going to do what they did, and that is trade him away for more prospects. And I think that burned the Red Sox fan base uh, again within a period of, what, five years, less than five years, four years uh, after the 2018 uh, World Series title. And, you know, the Red Sox just... I, I think the, the John Lester move to let him go really hurt a lot of uh, fans like yourself who covered, yeah. who followed the team very closely. And um, you know, it is certainly part of the st- John Lester uh, biography that you have to include when you're telling his story again, John Lester retires from major league baseball. That was announced on Tuesday. Let's get to the other big story. Dan Shaughnessy, one of the most respected baseball writers, whether you like him or hate him, love him or hate him in Boston, in the country. Uh, He's been doing it for such a long time. He stirred up the pot a little bit when it came out on Tuesday that he didn't vote for one David Ortiz. He didn't vote for anybody for the Hall of Fame except Jeff Kent. And if you're telling me that Jeff Kent belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame over uh, David Ortiz, uh, given how much uncertainty there was regarding uh, steroids and uh, PD, uh, help me out here, um, performance and PEDs. PEDs. Uh, how much uncertainty there was over PEDs and the testing. And that's what a lot of writers like myself feel about uh, baseball in this era. There's so much unknown. Yes, a couple of tests come back uh, positive and the rules were set. And that's why you have to come down hard. I, as Chad Jennings said on my Red Sox beat podcast last week. He said, that's why he comes down hard on Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez, because they broke the rules after the rules were definitively set in place. But in the early two thousands, late 1990s, there was so much of a gray area that Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens, uh, even, uh, you know, Jeff Kent's name has never been mentioned with it, but his numbers took a major spike up at that point. Um, you know, all of these great names thrown into the pot with the PED big question mark hangover baseball. You know, you can say if you want that pretty practically everybody was doing it, um, which I don't think that's fair because I think there were still a lot of players who went to the weight room. They did what they could to strengthen their body, but they weren't going to take any of the stuff, not because they didn't want to break the rules or bend the rules, but because they were concerned about what it would do to their body long-term long story short. I'm rambling here. I think it's ridiculous that Dan Shaughnessy would not vote for David Ortiz, but would put Jeff Kent in the hall of fame. What is the deal with Jeff Kent? Like why Jeff Kent? Well, why uh, is he let, let me bring up the flag numbers flag for that's look, I agree. I don't remember a ton of Jeff Kent's career. I kind of remember him at the end and he was quit from I'm going to read you. Th- okay. Yeah. I'm go going to read you this quote from Dan Shaughnessy and then you can go on a rant. Kent gets this vote because he was dominant at his position in the time he played. And there is no whiff 
of cheating or off-field scandal. Look him up, Shaughnessy says. Among second basemen, Kent ranks first in homers and third in RBIs, better than Ryan Sandberg or Joe Morgan. He was also National League MVP in 2000. He has a higher war than Bobby Doerr. Okay. I think there should be a distinction, frankly, between offensively, the pure offensively great uh, baseball players over a, a reasonably shorter period of time than one like David Ortiz, who was part. Now, yes, David Ortiz is in based on his offense alone, not his defense. We understand that he is a designated hitter, but Jeff Kent did not have even close to the type of postseason resume that David Ortiz had with the Red Sox under the spotlight. He was the key, re- one of the key reasons the Red Sox won three World Series in 04, 07, and 13. And to be able to carry a franchise like the Red Sox the way David Ortiz did in the clutch, the re- he was at the heart of the greatest comeback in Major League Baseball history. That al- all of those factors on top of the production that he had over his time with the Red Sox, as Chad Jennings also pointed out in making the comparison to Edgar Martinez. All of those factors, to me, make David Ortiz a no-brainer, but Dan Shaughnessy didn't see it that way. Yeah, so one, one spot where I agree with Dan, and this is where I think he actually contradicts himself, I'm a big proponent of measure players compared to their era and compared to the same position. That's why, for me, like I'd put Billy Wagner on my ballot. Because Billy Wagner was a top two, top three closer in the game for the majority of his career. And when he was in the league, he was one of the best at doing what he did. I think that's basically, that's what it comes down to to me for the Hall of Fame. That being said, I don't think you designated hitters a position. Whether you agree or not, it should be a position is another conversation, but it's a position. That's the reality of the game. Was David Ortiz one of the best at what he did during his time in the league unquestionably yes he was the best and he was the best to ever do it so if you want to say okay jeff kent is the second was the best second baseman for the majority of his career in baseball if that's the argument you want to make and it sounds like shaughnessy can back that argument up fine put jeff kent in by my definition of a hall of famer he fits the bill but you the reasons he gives for and, and he throws that that you know qualifier at the end about no on or off the field incidents, which is a BS qualifier because that's not what this is about. No, it's but not. If his his reasoning for putting Kent in means Ortiz should be in, and I agree with his I agree with his reasoning for putting Kent in in the sense that yeah, he's the best second baseman of his era. Those guys should be in. I don't care. Oh, second base, that he did what he was asked to do. That's what it's about. But then you have to put David Ortiz in, and it goes to something we talked about before with Lester. I think longevity slept on. David Ortiz should have won the MVP at 40 years old. He was robbed. He was robbed of the MVP at 40 years old with two bad heels. He hit 315 with 38 home runs and led the league in doubles and RBIs. That And, and look, his 40-year-old season is not why he should be in. But any way you want to slice it, because people have all their different qualifications for the Hall of Fame. Is it, you know, what was their peak? How good were they at their best? How long were they good? What did they do in the postseason? Whatever, however you want to measure it, Ortiz checks the box. That's, and, and the other argument against the DH thing too, 
outside of Ozzie Smith, is there one player who's in the Hall of Fame solely on fielding ability? Um, no. Bill Mazeroski, maybe. He also hit that home run. Uh, I, I understand that, that. that. He's in yeah. for, he'd probably be in for that home run to, to win the 1960 World Series, bottom of the ninth, game seven, 10 uh, 9, walk off. Okay, but so, so there's two, two out of however many hundred, right? So, okay, we're going to condemn Ortiz because he only hit, he didn't field, but we're not. And look, I love it if they paid more attention look. to what players did defensively, but that's not the case. And so if you're going to say, oh, it, he's not a complete baseball player, well, then no player who played in the American League since 1982 should be in. Okay? After everybody's after, all sorry, go ahead. After Joe Morgan, and, and I'm yeah. biased here, I obviously a Cincinnati bias coming in. Joe Morgan is the best baseball player all around I've ever seen by a substantial margin. Did you not uh, watch Ken Griffey Jr.? I, my thoughts on Ken Griffey Jr. is that he was a Oh, certainly a Hall of Famer, first ballot center fielder, Hall of Famer. Yes, I get that. But Joe Morgan did so many things at an elite level, uh, not only physically, but mentally on the field. He never made mistakes at a position that w demanded a lot. Second base is a very difficult position to play. Blind side on the double play pivot. He made it almost flawlessly every single time. He drove in runs in the middle of a great lineup. Um, he did it in, you know, pressure situations in, in the 75 world series, obviously. And, um, Joe Morgan is the best all around player I've ever seen. He's the best second baseman I've ever seen. Second best second baseman I've ever seen is Roberto Alomar and Roberto Alomar is a better second baseman than Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent was a great hitter. I'm not going to argue that he has the numbers. What's also interesting about this and uh, props to Michael Hurley. Uh, one of your working cousins, yeah, if you will, yeah. uh, at CBS Boston. Sean, I'm going to quote him here. This is Michael Hurley writing. Shaughnessy leaning on war just weeks after an F war tweet mentality. Do you, you, you know the one I'm talking about? I don't know that tweet, but I wanted to say that too. Get the hell out of here with the analytics. In, in the Twitter, Joe, it, Dan Shaughnessy said F war. Um, there's an F war uh, mentality in a Twitter joke. And that's interesting, as Hurley points out. His 2019 story labeling Mookie Betts as essentially being the same player as Fred Lynn also overlooked Betts' 42.2 war in 794 games compared to Lynn's 32.1 war in 828 games. So you, to your point, you can make numbers, you can make liars out of all of us with numbers, and numbers can tell a story any which way you want. But if you watch David Ortiz in that era where there's so many question marks and so much gray area regarding PEDs, I'm putting putting him on my Hall of Fame ba ballot without question, without hesitation. He's on the ballot. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he will be on the first ballot. And Dan Shaughnessy, uh, to his credit, uh, acknowledges toward the end of this story that um, when he when he was interviewed for this um, and announcing that he didn't vote for David Ortiz for the Hall of Fame, he said, look, I think David Ortiz is going to get in and congratulations to him. He's just not going to get my vote. That's all. And it, it's just it, ultimately, Sean is just doing this for attention. 
Yes, and and to make a point. That's exactly right, Alex. He is doing it to draw attention to what he believes was a crime by Major League Baseball, not the players necessarily, but by Major League Baseball, by um, proactively allowing these players to take advantage of the system. You know, that's the rub here is that Shaughnessy's not so much um, criticizing Ortiz as he's using Ortiz to make an, a statement about Major League Baseball at the time in that era. But that's, and it's so wrong to Ortiz. I, we don't need to get into why, but it's so wrong to Ortiz to do that. But deep down, a little part of me is almost glad Shaughnessy did this because we've talked, we, we talked about this when we did, you know, should the steroids guy, should the steroid guys get in or not? To me, what the Hall of Fame represents is one more chance to kind of recognize and celebrate these players we all enjoyed, right? Because they retire, they're not, they're probably not in the spotlight as much. Maybe they're doing media, but you know, for the most part, they kind of fall out of the 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 the, the regular dialogue in sports. And when they go through the Hall of Fame process, it's a chance to hear their names come back up again and kind of celebrate them again. And like you just made a wonderful case for David Ortiz as a Hall of Famer. If Shaughnessy, if right, if Shaughnessy doesn't kind of put his candidacy in the spotlight, I don't know that anybody's out here pounding the table making the case for David Ortiz. Because why would you? Why would you need to? We all know he's a Hall of Famer. So I guess if you want a silver lining in this, it's kind of nice to see people fight tooth and nail for David Ortiz and kind of talk about what a great player he was. Because I don't know that you, you get some of these strong sentiments for Ortiz without somebody actually challenging it. Not that it should be challenged or needs to be challenged or deserves to be challenged. If, if it means we get to reminisce on David Ortiz a little bit harder, I'm all for that. All right. Uh, this has been an interesting podcast, Alex. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I like the, I love talking John Lester because of, he's an intense baseball. He was an intense baseball competitor on the mound. He was a great guy off the mound. Uh, he went through a lot and, and his story, I wish there were more stories like John Lester in baseball and in sports instead of what we have today which is constant agitation anger bitterness i mean it, there always has to be look we all love a base uh, a sports argument right a debate and, and those have been around since the beginning of sports and i'm not saying that they haven't but my problem now is there's so much animosity that uh, you know vented towards baseball uh, towards sports owners agents and players that a lot of the fun has come out of it. And that's why it's important. I think we recognize a guy like John Lester when he retires after 16 years. Yeah. And, and again, in five years, hopefully we get a chance to kind of bring him back up and do it all again when he's eligible for the hall of fame. Well, Alex, uh, we got to get out of here. Uh, I got to wrap up this podcast. Thanks for joining me on it. You got anything you want to push by the way? Uh, just, Full, you know, coverage. We got Patriots in the playoffs. Tuka Rask is back. The Celtics should sell at the deadline. And, and we'll talk more about Ortiz candidacy, 98.5thesportsub.com. Well done, Alex. I'm very proud of you. We all taught you Thank well, you. you know. And and by the way, keep Evan Lazar in line, would you? Oh, I will. You know I am. By the way, when, when I text you Bengal um, texts from the playoffs, will you please respond right away? I will, tr I will try. I will try. <laughs> See, the problem is, like, because it's during – after this, you know, if once the Patriots get eliminated, definitely. If it's in the middle of a Patriots game, I don't know what's going on. But Are I'm you going to Buffalo, by the way? I am not. I will actually be on with Ted Johnson Sunday morning on the sports oh. from 8 to 10 after the game. So There you go. Sticking, sticking around to, 
excuse me, sticking around to jump on air. So. All right. Eight to 10 on Sunday morning with Ted Johnson, the former Super Bowl winning uh, Patriots linebacker. That will yep. be must listen, win or lose in Buffalo on Saturday night. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, as always, Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub. You can follow him and should be following him on Twitter at Real Alex Barth, all one word. Also, want to thank our great sponsor, betonline.ag. For Alex Barth, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.